Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Rowdy Rowdy Douglas. Okay. Yeah, that's your that's your gimmick this week, huh? That's my handle. Yeah. Yeah, a little homage to uh, the famous Rowdy Roddy Piper, the wrestler. Yeah, yeah. He was is was and is great. He was in uh, of course John Carpenter's They Live and uh Hell Comes to Frogtown and other great uh Hollywood gems. But of course first and foremost a pro wrestler. And, uh, and, and yeah, we are going to chat a little bit about pro wrestling in this podcast, but do not let that scare you away, um, because I know most of you probably, for most of you, wrestling is not your thing. I know some of our listeners are wrestling fans. A couple of our listeners are actually wrestlers, if I remember correctly. But, uh, but, but trust me, trust me on this journey we're about to take you on. That's right, because by the end of this podcast, you're going to say, ah, it all makes sense. Now I know why Robert and Julie wanted to talk about wrestling, because I now see how it has everything to do with my life and my reality. Yeah. I mean, that's a big ticket item to try to fill, but we're going to try to (laughs) take you through that with wrestling and something called kayfabe. Yes. So, first of all, I mean, you mentioned Roddy Piper. So, your memory is of pro wrestling. You're not a pro wrestling fan, but you have... you grew up in the 80s, like me, and mm-hmm. you had a brother. Exactly, which meant that I spent a lot of television time rooting for some of these characters in the 80s, most notably Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Andre the Giant. I mean, soft spot there. Big soft for spot. For Andre? Yeah. Heck well, yeah. of course, there was the, the Princess Bride tie-in. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. of course, and that that's where we got to see his tender heart right there. Wendy Richter. Okay, she she was backed by Cindy Lauper. Oh, yeah. Cindy Lauper was involved in the WWF at oh, that yes, point. Oh, yes, that's right. The, the rock and wrestling thing, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I was drenched in Hulkamania, which sounds kind of gross, but I was. <laughs> well, um, I, I was uh, a little late for Hulkamania, not because it wasn't on TV, but because I wasn't really allowed to watch it. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I remember, like, it would come, wrestling would come on. But like at odd times, like suddenly it would be a Saturday night and, and there would just be wrestling on. And uh, and I'd be like, oh, what's this? This looks kind of interesting. And uh, and then my parents would be like, oh, you don't want to watch that. Don't don't worry about that. They'd put PBS on for you. Yeah. And, of course, when we lived in Canada, we had no access to uh, pro wrestling that I remember. But but then eventually, like junior high years, I started, you know, I had a little more time to and access to a TV on my own. And then I started really getting into it and exploring it. And, uh, and to this day, I still I don't follow it religiously. I mean, I kind of follow it religiously. Yeah, you kind of do. But I don't do. watch it religiously. I just I, I keep an eye out, keep my ears peeled, and if I hear about a match that's re- that's really good, then I'll go and check it out. And it might be something from the U.S. It might be something from Japan or Mexico or what have you. Um, I'm even tempted. I've even been out to a couple of uh, wrestling shows here in Atlanta. I'm really intrigued. There's one uh, that just started up where their whole gimmick is. Um, that is the wrestlers are all monsters, so it's like Dracula versus a Wolfman. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. So that's kind of like the lucha libre concept, yeah. just taken to another level. Yeah. So to, to just to give anyone who's not really familiar with with what pro wrestling is on, on a large, larger national and international level, you have varying shades of it. Like here in the U.S., you have the whole sort of Hulkamania, larger than life characters that are. Um, 
to the, the naive viewer, they're having a big fight, a big crazy fight in a ring. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, uh, somebody wins. And then, uh, and then in Japan, they, they have it there. It's, it's pretty big there as well. It's a little more steeped in honor and tradition, but, and, and at times just utter wackiness. So it's very Japanese in that, that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's uh, also huge in Mexico. We have, of course, Lucha Libre, which I, I think everyone has at least been introduced to the, the, the visual flair of Lucha Libre by this point. Um, you know, crazy costumes, guys, Flying all over the place, but then at its at its roots, it all comes back down to guys grappling with each other. Now, <laughs> pro wrestling. Here's a big spoiler for everyone. Pro, pro wrestling is quote unquote fake. Now you get into trouble. What? I know, I know. Get, get, you get into trouble though with the with the term fake because fake is such a big word that it's it often takes on this negative comp, uh, connotation of mm-hmm. uh, that, that implies that what's going on does not involve talent, does not involve. Um, you know, skill does not involve um, uh, physical wear and tear, uh, and, and pro wrestling involves all of those things. It's, it requires highly skilled individuals to do it right. Uh, it, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. It's, it's ultimately storytelling in the ring, like a physical storytelling. And it's very well choreographed, and it has to well, be. Well, you choreographed and or um, improv because there are guys guys that have worked with with, with each other enough they go out there and they they don't necessarily know what all the the little moments are going to be they mm-hmm. know the big moments that are going to happen they know how it's going to end maybe but uh but there's a certain uh, feeling each other out and and going with the flow of it that really yeah kind of an improv kind of vibe um and i say choreographed in the sense cuz you and i were talking about this yesterday that you have to have a feeling for what's going to happen and how to execute certain moves in order not to actually hurt the opponent or do it in a way that you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, it's a cooperative battle, a cooperative fight, a cooperative uh, wrestling battle between two individuals or four individuals or what have you. A referee thrown in there that's also part of the act. Uh, and, but it, and then there's, but again, it's a lot of wear and tear involved, and, and individuals do become injured. So. You can read more about it. If you want to know more about pro wrestling, go to HowStuffWorks.com. We have an article called How Pro Wrestling Works. We have an article called How Lucha Libre Works. Uh, they're both fine um, fine articles that really give you a little more uh, in-depth about what they are and how they work. But we're not going to spend a lot more time on that. Instead, let's also go back in time. Let's go to a time before pro wrestling. Well, before we go to our time for pro wrestling, can we talk a little bit about the universality of it? Like, why wrestling? Yes. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, why did it um, take such a hold of you as a youngster and, and as, as a man now? Yeah, oh, pro, okay, so pro wrestling, what is it that captivates people? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, it, a lot of it does come down to conflict. Um, like, I'm, I've never been one for, like, team sports. I'm really not into sports, but if I watch a sport, I'm more inclined to watch something that is more about one person against another, like, say, singles tennis or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so pro wrestling, you have, you generally, it's, it, to varying degrees, it's almost always a good guy and a bad guy. In the ring, locking up, engaging in this pure physical battle, a test of strength and a test of wills to see, who is going to be the victor? And uh, and then and then there's a lot of uh, and they're basically also using an unreal form of martial arts. Like it's the roots, as we'll discuss, are in actual wrestling and actual um, you know physical grappling. But there are all these layers of fiction that have built up over it, and so many of the moves are are fantastic and just would would never occur outside of a fictional environment. And that just adds to the uh, to, to the flair. 
That's what I like about uh, wrestling is because it does have that universality of struggle, right? Everybody struggles, and it's highly symbolic mm-hmm. because you don't actually want to go mano a mano with someone normally, right? Um, yeah. And slay him or her, but you may want to release your aggression, right, or yeah. your frustration. And that's what I think is so um, basic to wrestling is this, as you say, this uh, man against man, the struggle. And I think, and this is kind of a joke, but it's kind of not, um, I think this is why Festivus yes. took people's imaginations, at least here in the United States. I don't know if... Yeah, this is the, the Seinfeld thing. Yeah. This is a Seinfeld episode about wrestling your father mm-hmm. during the holidays to air the grievances of the past year. Yeah. And I won't go into the long history of that. But, you know, once that aired on television, people began to actually have festivist celebrations. And I, I do think that um, it struck a nerve there in, in airing grievances. <laughs> and again, this highly symbolic act. Yeah, and it's certainly when you throw in the, the characters. I mean, you, in pro wrestling, you'll have, especially say in Mexico, where, where the masks are so rich, and you'll have like one character, and there's an even bigger divide between good guys and bad guys. There's less in between. There's less gray area. It's the, the Rudos and the Technicos. So on one hand, you have you know guys in, like, in devil masks and skulls and s- snarly beast faces, and on the other, more you know s- serene and, um, and positive images, like guys with crosses on their faces because you know, a heavy uh, you know, a Catholic element mm-hmm. uh, down there. Um, you know, guys with, uh, with, say, like a, a cat face, like, a, like Blue Panther comes to mind as a, a mask that was... In a way, like embodying like an animal spirit and something like positive that you would you would strive for, and so these these symbolic characters are are locking up uh, in the ring, and it, it brings to mind um, like non wrestling uh, passion plays, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, where you'll have uh, certain members of a village dress up as like an, like an evil outside force, and then others uh, dress up as the victor and, re- and reenact myths uh, that that are vital to a community or a people. So there you have that basic trope that's so important to humans, good versus evil, and you have all this pageantry. And we're going to discuss in a little bit why this pageantry matters, why it matters to um, aspects of science or economics. Um, But before we do that, we need to unpack the sport a little bit more and tell you about uh, some of the basics behind it. Yeah, because, um, again, you watch pretty much any pro wrestling uh, product on TV now in, in any country and there's going to be something that's that's unreal about it and ultimately it is uh, it is uh, to some degree like choreographed or at least cooperative it is a it is a performance so how did we get to the point where we have this performance of this sport uh, versus its original roots because you don't see this in every sport I mean you can make a case for say Harlem Globetrotters is an, is an exposition, a fake team having a fake uh, basketball game against mm-hmm. another team. But you don't see that in, in most sports. So, so what, is, what is unique about, uh, about pro wrestling? Okay, so you go, go back in time to like the earliest aspects of human culture, and you have people locking up. You have people wrestling. Like wrestling is, is pretty much as old as humans mm-hmm. um, because at the very base you have conflict, bestial conflict between people that involve – Clawing each other, dragging each other to the ground, biting, jabbing, butt punching, the whole nine yards. Butt punching? Butt punching, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, banned in most, uh, most, most combat sports. So, uh, so, uh, so just imagine that. I want to just like cavemen tearing each other up and rolling around on the ground trying to kill each other and mm-hmm. strangle each other. Out of that, out of the, the basic skills involved in that, you end up developing, uh, 
a metaphor for that kind of combat. Because you live in a society that needs cooperation, right? Yeah. You can't go around just brutally beating each other to death. Yeah, you need to, like you say, air your grievances in a, in a way that doesn't end up with somebody dead. You end up with this uh, this kind of proxy battle in the same way that sport itself is ultimately kind of a proxy war. Uh, wrestling is, is like a proxy tooth and nail battle to the death. It's a metaphor for that. Uh, so everywhere around the world, you have some sort of tradition of wrestling. And, and if you want to, anyone who wants to learn more about the, the various types of wrestling out there, I highly recommend you check out the blog wrestlingroots.org. Uh, they go, they go into just all these different, they travel around, they, they, their photos, there's video, and they go into the different traditions. Like for instance, there's traditional Turkish oil wrestling, which a number of you are probably familiar with, but I was not aware. It's delicious. It's delicious. I was, it does, it sounds like, you know, Turkish delight. Um, but I was not aware of just how much oil is involved. Like, it's not just like a little bit, like mm-hmm. grease yourself up for the tanning bed or something, but lots of olive oil, like liters of olive oil poured over them and also down their leather shorts. Just to, you know, cause it makes it harder for your opponent to get a grip on you. Mm-hmm. I guess adds to the passion of it. Um, then likewise, there's also India's, uh, kushti wrestling, which, um, which is, is, is neat too, because, uh, there are no points in this. You can only, uh, win by pinning. And you can also grab onto the shorts. Like some wrestling traditions are like, don't grab onto the shorts. And in this tradition, it's okay to use the shorts for leverage, which I guess is like uh, sumo in that regard. Because I think in sumo wrestling, yeah, you, you had to ex- grab on. You had to explain that to me because I kept thinking that people were getting pants. Yeah, there's no pantsing in, okay. uh, in, in kushti. But kushti is also interesting because they they the wrestling takes place on softened earth where they've poured out this ghee mixture to the soil, um, which uh, which is neat. You have this element of ritual. Uh, to it as well. And there's just any anywhere on earth you can go, you can find some sort of culture of wrestling. But uh, as far as the the transition from these cultural folk wrestling traditions, uh, the transition from that into professional wrestling, we end up looking at European models. Mm-hmm. There are all these different m- European models of, of, of wrestling, of folk wrestling that were popular and, and continue to be popular. But, uh, but certainly back in the, uh, the 19th century, you had a couple of things of note. You had you had the the catch as catch can style of wrestling, and you had uh, the Lancashire style, and um, and they're closely related. Yeah, they're closely related. 1871, there was this guy named J. W. Chambers, and he was kind of a minor celebrity, and he edit- he was the editor of Land and Water, and he started promoting a new grappling system um, uh, that, that he called catch as catch can style, first down to lose, mm-hmm. and uh, and this was. This was a folk wrestling tradition that also was, it wasn't completely groundbreaking because it was based on earlier models, but it involved guys locking up, uh, and you could pretty much apply any type of hold above, um, above the waist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and first down to loose is a big part of this too. Yes. Because this actually changed the sport quite a bit. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you're looking at past traditions, you could have wrestling matches going on for days, meaning, you know, the person uh, hadn't submitted yet, said, hey, I give up. And so they would break for the day and resume the next day. Well, the, the Lancashire style, yeah, was was like that. I was reading this book, um, Wrestling by Walter Armstrong, which is an 1890 book. where he's just So it's this is a pre-pro wrestling book uh, talking about these different uh, folk traditions. And he has some a couple of uh, bits I want to read from that about uh, uh, the Lancashire style. Um, 
writes, quote, Sometimes a wrestler will apparently make an unsuccessful attempt to wrench off the other's head, twist his arms from the sockets, or break his fingers, finally rolling him bodily over, all of which are eluded in a simply marvelous manner. Their elasticity of, of their movements is at times something remarkable, as they struggle, writhe, and twist for hours together before obtaining a fall. Uh, it would go on, not only would it go on for hours, but here, here's another quote from the book. When a match is not concluded on the day appointed, the referee orders the combatants to meet again and commence wrestling after being weighed at the same time and place every day, <laughs> except Sunday, until a decision is arrived at. So you would have this, this match that would go on for days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they were like, you know, they're, they're minor breaks as well. It's not just constant action, but still, it's, this goes on for days. And then, and then there's the brutality of it. We already read the part where he's talking about people's heads being twisted. Um, but this is a quote from an 1897 book called Fencing uh, that had a number of, of authors, but Walter Armstrong also contributed to this. And uh, the quote goes, uh, With regard to Lancashire wrestling, there can be no question that it is the most barbarous of the English systems, and it more nearly approaches the French dogfighting and tumbling than any other. A fair stand-up fight with the naked fists is the merest skim milk, in fact. A perfect drawing room entertainment in comparison. Huh. So, yeah, the the rules of it were um, pretty lax. Yeah, it was basically like, try don't crush your opponent's fingers, right? Like, this was sort well, of a... They, they, it would happen. It would happen. They would tend to say, please don't break each other's bones. Yeah. And but. the reason why they... Especially the fingers or the hands that they frowned upon that is because a lot of the people who were doing this were working class, in particular in Lancashire, England. Yeah. They were working in coal mines. So, obviously, if you crush your opponent's fingers, then you're putting that person out yeah, of work form. for a while. So, there's a, there's a cultural contract here. It's like, this is wrestling is fun, but we all have other jobs we need to do. Right. That being said... Uh, the, the Lancashire style involved uh, struggling on the ground, catching legs, which uh, the, the, the catch system that uh, is described in this book uh, does not. Uh, catching legs, twisting limbs, bending fingers. Um, and so it was, uh, so, so you had two things going on here. Three things, actually. First of all, there's something about it that's really entertaining. People were really getting into this. They enjoyed doing it, they enjoyed watching it. But it's super long. It, it's just right. way too long. It's a long. commitment, it's right? It's a commitment to, to, to act in and a commitment to watch. And then it's really violent. And uh, you would have situations where you know individuals would become real badly injured in this sport. So how do you make money off of something like that, right? You're, trying to, you're a promoter. You want to carry this around from town to town and, and have these matches and people pay to watch them and, and all of this. You don't want it to be that long. You want it to you want a, a product that you can market a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like how many people really have it in them to go see Wagner's The Ring Cycle, where you have to go like multiple days to to see the whole opera. You want a you know condensed version. You want something smaller. Or most people do, you know. So so let's find a version of this that fits into a smaller package, and let's find a version that doesn't injure the participants mm-hmm. as easily because these are ultimately the the people that you're. You're making your money off of, you know? It's like we, we're podcasters and, uh, and writers and editors here at House of Wars. And generally, the, the risk of injury on the job is low. It's more like, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome and strained eyes. Paper cuts. Paper cuts. Well, there you go. What if we were using a type of paper that was like just cutting fingers off left and right? You'd want to eliminate that paper because you, you, you need these people to run the business, to keep the business running. And likewise with the wrestling, you need to make it a little less brutal. But you, but the thing is, when you take the, if you take too much of the brutality out of it, if you say, all right, well, 
don't touch the fingers at all because we, we, don't, we don't want to risk that. Or, all right, no grabbing the legs anymore. Then you end up taking away from what is attracting people to it. So what do yeah. you do? You start tweaking it a little bit. with a, You start layering just a little bit of fiction on it. Right, and this is where you start to see some of the mani- manipulation uh, coming in to the sport and just sort of mounting and mounting as it progresses through history. Um, yeah, like maybe it starts with, all right, guys, when you go out there tonight um, – just go like one hour instead of six. Just one hour, and also just kind of uh, work together a little bit so that you don't, you know, injure one another in a really horrible way. Right. It becomes so much more about showmanship. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to uh, point out is that this is something that became very popular all over the world, um, as you already noted, in various forms. But this sort of catch as catch can wrestling. And this Lancashire was actually exported when immigrants uh, went to different countries, like in mm-hmm. the United States, it became very popular. And it even hit the big time at the Olympics at one point in 1908. Uh, it showed up there. And I wanted to point this out because this is just seems so fictional, but it's not. Uh, Abraham Lincoln actually yeah. was uh, one of the stars uh, of catch wrestling that, in the United States. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he apparently was a big dog in the sport. In fact, this is from a Sports Illustrated article, The Civil Warrior. Lincoln was, des- was described as an onlooker as, quote, the big buck of this lick. And <laughs> um, this onlooker saw Lincoln give the notorious county wrestling champion, Jack Armstrong, the worst thrashing of his life one hot September day more than 163 years ago. The article goes on to say that that was the future president's most celebrated victory. Frustrated from the start by Lincoln's tremendous reach, a.k.a. his height, Armstrong began stomping on his opponent's feet. Lincoln lost his temper, and a few tosses later, Armstrong lost consciousness. Wow. So, I mean, here Lincoln was a brawler, is what I'm saying. And, and had some throws. He had some, like, maybe there was a Lincoln suplex in there. I, I, I wish I could have Lincoln seen that. Lincoln pile driver? Yeah. Who knows what he innovated? Yeah, uh, in that, uh, the, the article that you're looking at there, it also mentioned that a few other presidents, um, were in, involved with some type of wrestling at some point. Like, of course, Teddy Roosevelt was, was up to grappling around with the boys in, in the dust. Um, I would have been surprised had he not. But, but Lincoln was into the rough stuff. He was into the, the catch. Wrestling. Yeah, and I think that that kind of points to the popularity of the sport and the fact that, again, it was exported and it started to show up at these county fairs. Mm-hmm. And then this is where you began to see uh, these various counties loosely organizing themselves and producing winners from different regions of the country. Yeah. And believe it or not, these regions eventually coalesced into what is now the World Wrestling Federation. Well, and at, well, it, now it's World Wrestling Entertainment. But, uh, but, right, but exactly. World Wrestling is the big billion-dollar industry that it is today. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the Olympics. Uh, like the, the the history of uh, of wrestling in the Olympics is pretty interesting. Um, 1896. That was the the first modern Olympics, and Greco-Roman wrestling was there. But the interesting thing about Greco-Roman wrestling. It's basically European wrestling. It's based in European folk wrestling traditions, mm-hmm. uh, particularly some French traditions. So it's really not all. I mean, you, you, can, you call it Greco-Roman, but eh, you know, it's uh, it's more of a central, uh, you know, Western Europe kind of a vibe to it. Um, but it's only been in the, the uh, Olympics regularly since 1908, and uh, and then in the 1904 games in St. Louis, uh, in that particular year. 
a limited form of catch-as-catch-can wrestling was there, but Greco-Roman was not. Uh, and it was the 1908 London Games uh, where we saw both Greco-Roman and catch-as-catch-can finally coming back. So, um, yeah, as a sort of casual observer of, of wrestling in Olympics, you, I always kind of thought, oh, I guess Greco-Roman, that's the real deal. That's the, the old stuff, and, and, that's, and it's been around forever. And that pro wrestling was... The new stuff, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, you just kind of uh, you know, throw it into that kind of dichotomy, but uh, right. but it's not quite that simple. Um, so anyway, to, but back to layering the fiction on. You know, like you say, you're going around to these different counties, you're, you're, you're letting the guys know, you know, work together, uh, put it in a certain time frame that mm-hmm. makes sense. And then all the other changes become naturally. Like you can imagine all the, the, every step of the way, on, on the journey from uh, from catch wrestling to pro wrestling, because you might say, "All right, well, you know, um, it would really make more sense if the hero won tonight rather than the villain, or rather, the villain should really win tonight because then it's going to make it all the more awesome when the hero wins the next night." Mm-hmm. So you start end up uh, you end up throwing in narrative flows. Um, you know, think of things like everyone loves an underdog story. So, but but you it's if you wait for underdog stories to emerge organically. In a sporting environment, you know, you got to sometimes you got to be pretty patient. But if you can orchestrate it, if you can spin it, and if you can, you can say, "Hey, you're the underdog tonight," and it happens, then you're improving the product that you're selling. So you, you keep going, and then you can then you get to the point where you're throwing, you're adding elements to the, the physicality of the match, to the, even the physics of the match, that make it more flashy, that make it more entertaining. And uh, decade upon decade, it just builds and builds into this, into the the largely unreal uh, martial art that uh, that you see in the the fictional uh, performance sport of pro wrestling today. Which you see is a system in place, yeah. right? That is giving us a measure of predictability, but yeah. also giving the audience what it wants. And Roland Barthes, uh, you sent me this great article, or rather essay, by the French uh, philosopher Roland Barthes. He took on wrestling, and he talked about why it is um, so intoxicating to people. And basically it was saying, you know, it's, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was basically saying that it's not a real image of passion that the audience wants. They just want an image of passion. It right. doesn't have to come from a real place. And that's really the contract that the audience has with uh, the performers is just give us a show. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment, about how this show aspect is really reflected in our daily lives. But before we do that, we should probably take a break. Yes, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're just going to talk briefly about the kind of death of kayfabe. Uh, and, well, I guess we'll talk about what kayfabe is. We really didn't get yeah, to really yeah. describe it. Uh, and then also we will hear from an actual pro wrestler uh, and uh, podcaster, Colt Cabana. All right, we're back. All right, yeah, we are. And you know what? I don't think that people realize, but when you were talking about stamps.com, you were actually wearing your wrestling outfit, yes. and your cape was waving in the wind behind you. Yeah, that was my my promo I was cutting there. I, know, I felt like yeah. you sounded very like uh, WWE. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 would actually be great. I would. It's too bad the uh, the Macho Man is no longer with us because I would love to hear a stamps.com um, advertisement for Macho Man. Of course, yeah. because he's he's got or he had a lot of moxie, right? Yeah. And that's what we're talking about here when we're talking about how pro wrestling, what we think about it today, the, the sort of fakery 
the illusion that's put forth, or not so much the illusion anymore, is predicated on this moxie and this ability to put forward a character and put forward these tropes and act them out. Yeah. Um, and this is related to this term called kayfabe. Yeah, because like we said, the, the, the gradual um, addition of fiction to catch wrestling, uh, you, you can't just, like the first night you did it, the first night that, that uh, you're out there and say, and you say, hey, uh, you guys are going to work together on this and he's going to win, you don't want to announce that to the crowd. And likewise, it, it, you just don't market the product like that. Uh, so you have this thing, this kayfabe, this, uh, this carny talk uh, for keeping the secret. You don't let the the audience. You don't let the marks know what's up. You don't you don't explain to them how the magic trick works. You don't let them know that there's a magic trick at all. If if uh, one dude is acting like he's the the you know the heelish villain and the other guy is the is the face the mm-hmm. the baby face the good guy, they have to keep fooling everyone. They have to keep the act up because it's it's the act is what they're selling. That, yeah, that's this idea of kayfabe. And uh, it's thought that the etymology of this has its roots in a sort of pig Latin, right? So yeah. fake, kayfabe. Keep it fake. Keep yeah. it fake. Um, and that there apparently are various ways to say this, like kifib. Kifib. Like yeah. that might have been the way that carnies would have said it back in the day. It is, yeah, this is some straight up carny stuff we're talking about here with kayfabe. This is, yeah. but this is what has colored um, pro wrestling and this is what is so interesting about it. And as you had pointed out, you've got the heel who is the bad guy, right? Yeah. Um, and you've got the face who is the good guy. So Hulk Hogan was your typical face, right? Yeah, I mean, he was America. He was, you know, in, in he was he was our hopes and dreams. He was our vitamins uh, eating, um, muscle gaining good guy just out there fighting the good fight uh, against uh, you know villains and of course foreigners um, because that's that's another thing about wrestling is you see it invoking uh, various cultural fears and and worries and topics mm-hmm. um, often in a cheap or exploitive way uh, to generate uh, heat from the crowd. That's right. And again, though, there, this provides that catharsis, right, yeah. to, to see this pageantry played out before you. Um, and, of course, a lot of these characters, too, as you had said, they, they build up these narratives and these um, mythologies, and a lot of them turn, right? So the, the good guys, the faces sometimes might get overwhelmed by their egos and start acting like a heel, uh, and then later on, maybe they they have some sort of redemption. So yeah. it's, you get to it, watch characters fall from grace and then ascend uh, uh, back to, to to herodom. I mean, it's uh, those are that's the kind of drama people want to see, and that's so that's the kind of drama they orchestrated and presented. Now, the thing about kayfabe, though, is that as time rolls on, as the product be- becomes further and further removed from actual grappling. Mm-hmm. And also, and also, when you throw in TV and just exposure, it really becomes more and more obvious that what is happening is something that's orchestrated. And especially too, if you're, uh, if you know, you're involving people of different skill levels. So there may be two guys who can go out there and put on a like a totally believable match, and even the unbelievable things they can make seem real. Mm-hmm. But then you get some guys out there who are green and don't really know what they're doing, and it, you know, it's it's like watching a a. Um, a uh, a poor magician trying to do a trick with coins falling out of their pockets, right? Mm-hmm. At any rate, eventually, it's not that well-kept a secret. Everyone really knows, and, you know, it's more uh, like a, a Santa Claus-level thing, even among children, you know, where someone's like, hey, you know that stuff's fake, right? And they're like, no, man, it's not fake at all. But <laughs> but uh, but then it, it reaches a point, though, 
1989. Uh, so the McMahons have built up, um, they've taken all these like independent territories and they've really built up this, this world wrestling federation. They're, they're, they're beginning to roll in the dough. Again, these are the territories that were established in the 1900s in the United States. Yeah. So uh, again, loosely organized, but this is what it evolved into the, the McMahon family. Yeah. Became sort of head of that. Yeah, yeah, and and part of keeping kayfabe though was that they were also there were things like uh, the state athletic commissions were were regulating the business in large ways. Like there was, uh, I remember reading that um, this guy Mil Mascaris, who uh, was a luchador, he would come up and work matches, and there was like some sort of like some sort of law in New York mm-hmm. where no one could wear a mask uh, in a match, and so he couldn't go there to do to do his ma- his matches because the athletic. Uh, um, commission was uh, had this rule, mm-hmm. so it, it re- reaches the point though where it, it comes down to money. And so in 1989, Vince McMahon uh, breaks kayfabe in a big way. Uh, he hated to, to pay state athletic commissions to regulate his business, so he just finally admitted, "Hey, it's not a sport, so back off." And I'm not going to give you all of this money anymore uh, because it's sports entertainment. It's not sport. Right. And did the audience care? No, no. because at that point, everyone really knew. It's kind of like it's like Santa Claus. He, you know Santa Claus. You reach a point where you know Santa Claus isn't, isn't real. Is not a physical reality. That it, there is it's fiction and myth, and, uh, and 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 you have to suspend disbelief. But it's still it's still entertaining. It's still mm-hmm. something that you can involve yourself in. And so yeah, people st- still watch it. They suspend disbelief when they watch it. Uh, but it does make for a really weird kind of area because it's uh, it's not quite like uh, watching a movie. Where you're like, oh, you know, there's a there's an actor playing a character. Like it's more like there's this actor, but he's pretending to be the character all the time. Um, and it's uh, as we'll we'll discuss uh, here. It's uh, there's more of this gray area between truth and fiction, and that's kind of like that's kind of what the modern kayfabe is is all about. Well, should we hear from Colt Cabana here? Yes. Yeah. Let's. Uh, Let's hear from Colt. Uh, just a little introduction to those of you who are not familiar with Colt C- Cabana. Uh, he has about 14 years in the pro wrestling business. He's wrestled for uh, World Wrestling Entertainment, Ring of Honor, Pro Wrestling NOAA. That's uh, a Japanese promotion. Uh, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, which is exactly what it sounds like, the insane clown posse. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, Chikara, which is a really cool like uh, family, kid-friendly uh, promotion um, up north. Uh, National Wrestling Alliance, and then countless other, uh, you know, independents. Because there's still a lot of independent wrestling out there. Uh, uh, but more notably to a lot of you, he also hosts the Art of Wrestling podcast, where he interviews other wrestlers, and they just kind of talk about wrestling, but also about life and all. And it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's, it's a really entertaining podcast. Uh, he has also been on uh, Mark Marin's uh, WTF podcast, and he's also been featured on the Sound of the Young America. And if you want to learn more about him and uh, find out. Uh, and, and also check out some of his episodes, uh, see where he's performing. You can go to welovecult.com, and uh, he has all that information there. So I had recently spoke with uh, with Colt on the phone, and uh, and we were wondering to what degree we should keep kayfabe here, and I, and I could act like I'm actually speaking to him live when actually I'm rereading my questions that I asked him, and then we're cutting in his, his answers. But... Uh, but I guess we should suspend kayfabe a little bit since that's what we're talking about. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to ask the first question, and uh, Colt is going to respond. Can you ask it in a wrestler voice? No. I think that would be disrespectful. <laughs> well, no. I'm just in the spirit of kayfabe. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So first off, Colt, do you have a specific character in mind when you perform in the ring? Yeah. I have a specific persona or character when I go out in the ring. 
it's it's a lot like who I am in real life, but I know that I have to be on and I'm not going to break away from this character and I'm going to commit no matter what because I'm on stage or, you know, slash ring. So, um, so yeah, I want to keep to my character and and what I have going through my head for what I want to do in that specific match or instance. So based on your experiences, uh, do acting and wrestling go hand in hand? I see, uh, I see a big parallel. I definitely see a big parallel to acting and wrestling, and I see it now more than ever that I've kind of dabbled or I'm putting the two together in correlation more than ever. I, I see that the, the similarities between the both. I guess once I started, once I was wrestling, as I was wrestling, I was never like, oh, I'm an actor or I see the similarities. But then when I started doing a little bit of acting and comedy, then you realize, holy crap, I've been acting and doing comedy for the past 10 years in a wrestling ring. Now, I imagine a number of listeners at this point may have uh, you know, gone to Wikipedia and you look up Colt Cabana. And uh, and over there on the right, you'll see a, a list of aliases that he's used in the mm-hmm. ring. Different, because. Most uh, some guys in wrestling may go in and they're only ever like one name, but most end up using various names, various gimmicks, various personas that they take on in the ring. Uh, just looking at the list for Colt, he has wrestled as Chris Guy, as Colt Nevada, as the Goon, as Matt Classic, as Masked Flipper Number Seven, as Officer Colt Cabana, as Punchline, as Scott Colton, uh, which. Uh, that's his real name. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Scotty Goldman, as Twinkie the Kid, and Colt Daddy. Uh, so, Colt, of all these characters, and granted, some of these are just one-offs that you know maybe only existed once. Uh, which one is the furthest from the real you? I do a character called Officer Colt Cabana, and I do that for the Insane Clown Posse's Juggalo Championship Wrestling. And the great thing about it, and what's the most interesting thing, is that people have learned to love the character Colt Cabana. The fun, lucky, the fun-loving, happy-go-lucky professional wrestler, the 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 nice guy of professional wrestling, and then they know. It seems like it's almost like they're in on the joke of when I go and I become the bad guy at at the Insane Clown Posse shows, and now I'm the officer, Cole Cabana, and I'm swearing and I'm vulgar and I'm rude and I'm vowing to take the juggalos and arrest them one by one. And it's so completely different, not only from who I am, the person, but who Colt Cabana, the wrestler, is, is that this character has taken on like a life of its own and a niche of its own, and people really seem to love it, I think because they know that it's so far from who I am and what I am as a person. Now, do you ever find yourself carrying Officer Colt Cabana with you outside of the ring when you go back in the locker room? No, no, I ne- I, I'll, I'll never come back after a performance as Officer Cole Cabana and find myself in the same character. I think because I've been doing it for so long and I know exactly when I go through that curtain when the match is ended to switch it right off. But when I'm in the middle of the action and the adrenaline is going and I'm allowed to do whatever I want, I definitely get carried away and I definitely I definitely um love the fact that I can do everything I want and I and I what people don't know is that almost like my real inner personality will come out because I can swear and I can be vulgar and it's accepted and it's fine. So any like real life frustrations that I really have is allowed to come out in this character of Officer Cole Cabana, the bad guy, because as Cole Cabana, the good guy, the fun, lucky, happy-go-love, you know, loving guy, I-, I could never let that out or else my character would be ruined. But when I let it out as Officer Cole, it's what it's expected. 
So when I, I mean, I'll get carried away. And for me, it's almost therapeutic because I'm allowed to do it. And I, and honestly, the more carried away I get, the better the character is. So can you, can you speak a little more about the, the blurred lines between fiction and fantasy in pro wrestling? It's just, that's the one big difference between, you know, people. It's interesting because I, I think that's where the, the line of quote-unquote fake comes from a lot is that your favorite movie that you go and in the middle of it, if, um, you know, Brad Pitt is in Fight Club, uh, no one's going in the middle of that movie. This is fake. This is They get drawn in, they're enthralled, and they love it, and it's the greatest thing. And then afterwards you take yourself out of that world, you know that that was Brad Pitt. Not, uh, what, what was his name in the movie? I forget now. Uh, but, uh, Tyler Durden, I think. Yeah, right. That was Brad Pitt, not Tyler Durden. Uh, but for us, it's funny because as a, kind of as a, as a businessman myself, in, you know, I have to portray the character Cole Cabana at all times. And that's, I'm not, I don't, my business card doesn't say Scott Colton. It says Cole Cabana and that's how I make my money. And it's a 24 hour business, not only with, the wrestling at shows, but then outside the shows and podcasting. And I have to keep up this, uh, you know, and, and the YouTube and, and Twitter and everything. It's all done under the guise of Colt Cabana. Unlike where Brad Pitt would, you know, tweet or do his business as Brad Pitt. But then he goes and has that two hour block of Tyler Durden where he's performing as that character. Or if he's in seven or another movie, he's going from character to character to character. Whereas I am always going to be Colt Cabana and that's always going to have to pay my bills, so I ask, I always have to protect that character of Colt Cabana, and that's kind of where kayfabe comes into into play is my protection of that character. So this is more or less the the modern kayfabe. Yeah, it's it's hard because a lot of wrestling obviously has kind of been exposed. People enjoy it for what it is now, and and the right the the idea of kayfabe was to keep that secret of what's going on in the wrestling industry so everyone thinks it's 100% on the up and up and that it's a it's a full fight, you know, uh, it's a full 100% um, exhibition, I guess, or, or a fight and not an exhibition. Mm-hmm. And now there's, yeah, there's different, I guess, ideas of kayfabe. Also, I don't want, I, I think it's so insulting when someone's like, is it fake, just tell me, or whatever. And... You know, a magician, no one ever said David Copperfield was fake. A magician's not going to go out. We all get the idea of what magic is and what illusions are. And if you're a good fan or if you're someone who loves that idea of magic or illusions, you're not going to be screaming that this is fake or I don't, you know, obviously this isn't real. And that's the same idea of wrestling. And the magicians have their world of kayfabe, of keeping their illusions to themselves. And us as wrestlers... We want to keep our illusions to ourselves, and it's it's better if it's not completely out in the open for the fact that you will enjoy the show more if you allow yourself to kind of just kind of be stupid and just enjoy it for what it is, good versus bad, heels versus, uh, you know, baby faces, heroes versus villains. That's the best thing about wrestling, and if you just stupefy yourself and enjoy the show then you're allowing yourself to have a better experience, and that's when the kayfabe is kept in part. All right, so we're going to pick up a little more with Colt here in just a second. But at this point, we want to mention a really cool article that we ran across that uh, that really gets at the heart of, of why kayfabe is so fascinating for 
non-wrestling fans and for just people in general. And it's a it's an article called Kayfabe by Eric Weinstein, who is a mathematician and economist um, with the Norton Group. So you're probably wondering, what does a mathematician and an economist care about pro wrestling? What is it about, uh, in Weinstein's world, the altered reality of layered falsehoods uh, in, that is kayfabe? Like, why does that matter to the rest of us? Um. And it's interesting because this was a question that he was answering from Edge.org. Every year they pose an annual question or question to various thinkers. And the question he was answering was, what scientific concept would improve everyone's cognitive toolkit? And so the first line of his essay says, the sophisticated scientific concept with the greatest potential to enhance human understanding may come not from uh, academy, but rather from the unlikely environment of professional wrestling. So this is what you had just touched on right there, because he's saying that this kayfabing is existing uh, at every level of our society. It's really pervading our cultural fabric. Yeah. In, in his words, fabrication is the process of transition from reality toward kayfabe. And it arises out of attempts to deliver a dependably engageable product for a mass audience while removing the unpredictable upheavals that imperil the participants. Um, so, again, he's, he's going back to what we've been discussing, the, how traditional folk wrestling that is, quote-unquote, real, transitions into pro wrestling, which is, quote-unquote, fake, and, again, not to get into the whole quagmire of, of fake, uh, we've already discussed that, but just in the idea of how does reality become fiction and, and, and that process, that, that fabrication that exists in between. That is what he's talking about. Yeah, he's saying that it's a feature of our most important systems, such as war, finance, love, politics, and science. And um, I was even thinking about kayfabe economics, uh, in particular the subprime mortgage crisis. Yeah. Uh, because this was basically passing off crap mortgage-backed securities as investment-grade commodities among this group of um, financial institutions. And it's an example of this collective insanity that can be formed around incorrect assumptions that gain acceptance because they're a source of status. So in other words, the sub-mortgage crisis that occurred was all because everybody was sort of playing along with this sort of kayfabe-ization of, of economics when it came to that the housing bubble and to these um, really crappy mortgage-backed securities. Yeah. They were passing it off as the real deal, right? Because they wanted this. This was a system that w- would only work if we could all buy into this illusion. Yeah. Like you come down to this uh, this idea that, uh, you know, pro wrestling is this metaphor for that, that exists for actual wrestling and for actual combat, and so you you, you can you can apply this model to other. For instance, journalism came up in Weinstein's article as mm-hmm. an example, and certainly I think to uh, I think to to science journalism since that's probably what I see the most of uh, with my job, uh, particularly space. Okay, so like you can compare uh, space exploration to catch wrestling. Uh, catch wrestling was really long and at times kind of uh, monotonous. Uh, but it, but at heart, there was something really compelling about it. Likewise, with space exploration, space exploration is really important. I mean, it's about who we are and where we stand in the cosmos. It's about the long-term survival of the human race and all of these these grand ideas. But if you just take a look at a a peer-reviewed article or just some like you know, the hard scientific data about something, it can 
it can come off a little boring. It's not it's not sexy, you know. Mm-hmm. And then so the the science journalists swoop in, and they they take the core of it, what's important. But then you know they sex it up a little bit. They maybe they add the instead of it just being a black hole in the headline, it's a cannibalistic black hole or it's a monster black hole. You you start layering over a little fiction to dress it up and make it more presentable as a product. And um, and you know, ideally, you have journalistic integrity keeping it from going too far. But uh, but uh, but yeah, you see kayfabe. Well, once you know what it is, you you see it everywhere. Well, and and he talked about it too in science uh, because if you have a certain agenda, then you would try to fit you know certain data or elements to create that fiction, right? And mm-hmm. so when I think about it, and I think about it in terms of science, I think about erroneous studies that still have some sort of weight outside of the science world, really. And in particular, I'm thinking about Jenny McCarthy, autism, and uh, this false link between autism and vaccinations. Now, the the study that she cited in The Doctor has been discredited over and over and over again, mm-hmm. but yet there is this false reality that has been formed around this idea, and it gained status. And this is sort of a perfect example of... Uh, K fabrication in our lives where we don't, as you say, you don't really think about it that way. But when you look at these instances in economics or in science or in journalism and the way things that are reported, you begin to see that uh, it really is a system that we are all sort of buying. In, well, not all of us, but we tend to sort of buy into as a society. Yeah. Um, so you sort of wonder, like, where, where, uh, if you strip it all away, what are the truths? Because what we're talking about is perception versus reality. Yeah. Um, this idea that perception is exalted above actual reality. Yeah, to go back to a quote from Weinstein, he said, What makes kayfabe remarkable is that it provides the most complete example of the process by which a wide class of important endeavors transition from failed reality to successful fakery. So um, let's go back to Colt Cabana, the uh, professional wrestler and professional podcaster. Uh, does the uh, Art of Wrestling podcast. Uh, go back to him with just a few more questions about the nature of kayfabe. So, Colt, do you see kayfabe at work in the world around you? Yes. And, you know, these are my own, I guess, thoughts. But it's because I've been engulfed in the wrestling world and I've seen, I guess, the art of trickery, really, is what I've been doing, is I don't believe anything for anything. And that's why these are my own thoughts. Uh, anyone could have, you know, life is subjective. But I refuse to vote because I believe everybody is just corrupt and everyone's out for themselves. Right. And, you know, who, who every we hear on the news so much, the just politics in general, everyone's taking money from this person, everyone's taking money from that person, who's ever in charge because of wrestling and kayfabe and the idea uh, that, you know, we're quote-unquote working people all the time. That's how I kind of, unfortunately, look at life, but I, I feel that it's real. That's how life is. And uh, it's, I think that's sad and it's unfortunate, but I think in every aspect, especially those higher power political aspects, that's going on all the time, so much to the point that it's so disappointing and it's, it's taken me out of that world. I really want nothing to do with it because I believe that they are, are they're using that world uh, of trickery or kayfabe or, or disguising or masking. And, um, yeah, uh, boxing, football, even the realest of real sports, this is going on because it's almost because it's business. 
And wrestling, right, wrestling was very popular in the very early 1900s or late 1800s, and the matches would go on for so long that some of these matches would be three, four, five-hour matches, and the business people, they said, our business is dying, we need to change this business aspect and this business model. And it all comes down, I guess that's the American way, it all comes down to dollars and cents, and they said, "Here's how we need to fix, you know, we here's how we need to fix wrestling, wrestling as we know it. Catches catch can, uh, two guys go in, and the better man will win. And it got so boring or it got so long that they were losing their audience that they changed it and they fixed it so they could make more money. And that's the American way, and that's every job and that's every aspect. How can we change this, or how can we make so how so we can make more money? How can we get the more most bang for our buck?" How can we make? How can we make money? And that's in politics. That's in unions. That's in uh, you know, unfortunately, like you know, police and firefighters and uh, even the, the nicest of the nice. I believe it all. It all happens because we're all driven by the almighty dollar. And especially, I mean, that's what wrestling's all about too. Is it's a business? Is how do you make money in this thing? So as a as a fan of pro wrestling and uh, and but ultimately as an outsider to pro wrestling, uh, you hear stories about guys who buy in, into their own gimmick, who over time, you know, ego gets involved, and you know maybe they're portraying a monster in the ring, and they start feeling like a monster outside the ring. Uh, like I say, ego gets involved, and things supposedly spin out of control. But but does that ever does that really happen? Does the uh, the fantasy ever bleed into reality? Yeah, uh, I would definitely say that people start buying their own hype. They start believing their own hype. They start believing to the character that they are, and that is the idea that then they that egos collide with egos, and sometimes during a wrestling match, two people have egos, and they don't think what should happen should happen, so they're going to go and go into business for themselves, and they're going to change whatever was supposed to happen, and that's when that great line of professional wrestling becomes, is this a work or is this a shoot? You know, is this real? Is kayfabe happening? Am I getting worked? What's going on? And that happens all the time. And that's what I think is like the new thing that's drawing people to wrestling as opposed to the early, you know, 1930s. This is the new era of what people seem to really enjoy. And not only is it in wrestling, but it's, I think we've all seen it with reality television. What's real in this show? What's not real in this show? And now it's such a blurry line that no nobody really knows, especially, you know, Paranormal Activity or uh, whatever that other scary movie was that people seem to really like. You know, uh, that's the new culture that we're in. And it happens for sure in the wrestling ring, in the wrestling backgrounds. Uh, you play this character, and again, once you get off set, you know, you're, if you're, this is a movie... It's not like you're ending this character. You have to be a part of this character 24/7 because it's your it's your it's your living. And when you when some people do that, they get caught up in it, and it's very unfortunate. But it can also make for for interesting television or interesting drama. So, Colt, uh, thanks for talking to us. And uh, just to close out, give us a, a just a brief uh, spiel about about your philosophy in the ring. What what does Colt Cabana uh, bring? To the product. A lot of people know the world of professional wrestling is two mean men trying to beat each other up, and I always try to take that aspect and change people's mind with it, because wrestling is an exhibition where two people are going in the ring and somebody's trying to win. 
I don't use anger or I don't use aggression as my way to win. I use humor as my way to win. And I think that always makes for a real fun match, and people seem to like it. And because I've bec- I'm a humorist inside the wrestling ring, my humor translates outside the wrestling ring. So people really seem to support, and people really seem to relate and enjoy who I am as a wrestler and performer in other things that I do in terms of the way I tweet or the way I podcast or the way I have different comedic slash wrestling ventures that I put out in the world. And I think when you put that all together, that, you know, that makes the ultimate showman or the ultimate uh, entertainer or what you have it. So I like the idea that I've kind of crossed this line of not just a wrestler, but, uh, you know, an entertainer for everybody. So there you go. Uh, thanks uh, to uh, Colt for taking the time uh, to chat with us. I think as we're recording this, he's in Japan uh, wrestling some matches. And, again, if you want to check out his stuff, just go to uh, welovecolt.com. And just to close this out, I wanted to to uh, bring up this question about whether or not this is something we can even avoid because we've talked about how storytelling fictionalizing, mm-hmm. creating realities for, our, for our, ourselves is part and parcel of being human. And it makes me think about those babies studies that we keep coming across in various ways in our research. Um, and I'm talking in particular about Karen Wind, who's a Yale psychologist who has looked at babies and morality. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really interesting. Uh, I think we've probably mentioned this before, but kids as young as three months old can suss out these little puppet characters who is the good good guy and who is the bad guy or the good gal or the bad girl bad gal and uh not only can they suss them out they they sort of have a uh preference for the one that is the good guy usually the good puppet but they also will uh try to even the playing field when they can. In other words, they will punish the bad guy when they can. And I won't go into the particulars of how they do this, but uh, time and again, like three-fourths of the babies will be able to pick out the good puppet as opposed to the bad puppet. And many more will reward um, a puppet for punishing the other one. So again, here's this very deeply ingrained idea that we have in our brains about a sense of justice and injustice in this morality and in this sort of pageantry that always plays out in front of us. We can't help but get our hooks into the stories and be intrigued by them. So how can we help to, uh, it, you know, with that as sort of the, the base of our cognitive systems, um, how can we actually go about peeling back those illusory layers to really see what's going on? Yeah. To, uh, to end on a quote from uh, Roland Barthes, it says, uh, In the ring, wrestlers remain gods because they are, for a few moments, the key which opens nature, the pure gesture which separates good from evil, and unveils the form of a justice which is at last intelligible. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little more about um, some related issues to this, about uh, um, what happens when, uh, when the self is layered in uh, these these various uh, elements of fiction. Uh, the episode is going to be called Undercover Actors in the Shadow Self. It's going to be the one that publishes right after this one. So uh, if you're really into this topic, check it out. Uh, we, we promise there's some uh, some excellent uh, content in there. So um, let's put putting wrestling aside now. Let's uh, ask the robot to come over here and bring us some listener mail. All right, here's one from... 
Critter Jones uh, on Facebook, and I just love that we have a listener named Critter Jones. It just uh, it lightens my day. Uh, Critter says, you sweet, sweet people have the best product on the air today. Thanks for pushing boundaries and breaking mysterious walls, uh, I, uh, as always, with your Labyrinth episode. I don't know what I'd do without you guys. Please don't make me find out. Love and infinite rockets to both of you sweet cats. Please, please keep on keeping on. Oh, that's very that's kind. Very sweet. Thank you. We also heard from Kristen. Kristen said, hey, guys, just listen to the maze episode. Another little quirk of the maze uh, in Harry Potter was that the hedges also moved, so you couldn't really go back the way you came, and you'd also have to hurry and pick a direction before the hedges took you out. Uh, great podcast, guys. And finally, uh, Paul uh, wrote to us on Facebook as well and said, uh, regarding the call for video game mazes, the worlds of the Metroid series come immediately to mind. Uh, many times you can clearly see the path ahead or shiny upgrade, but lack the necessary equipment, which you obtain much later in the game, often long after you have forgotten where you found the blocked path. So uh, so there you go. Thanks, guys, uh, for writing in. If uh, any of the rest of you would like to um, chat with us about mazes about labyrinths about pro wrestling uh if you yourself are a pro wrestling fan or or a pro wrestler and you have thoughts on some of the content that we've discussed here uh write in also if you're an outsider if your your husband uh or uh, or other significant other is uh is into wrestling and you're kind of like viewing it from the outside and you have some thoughts about it and maybe those thoughts have changed a little after listening to this podcast let us know you can find us on facebook and you can find us on tumblr we are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those and we have a twitter feed uh that is blow the mind, one word. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 